so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. Coming up later, when you shop online, when you're surfing, you know there are prying eyes and spies all over the place. But what about when you're out and about? What do people know about you when you walk into a physical establishment, a store or whatever? Well, this is kind of creepy. I'll be sharing with you what they do know. Here's something you need to know. The number of complaints, problems that we as consumers are having with financial institutions is insanely ridiculous. There's a new report from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau about how many complaints they've received about banks, credit bureaus. It's 1.2 million. Just in the last several months, over a quarter million. And some of that is continuing fallout from the Equifax data breach, for which Equifax has not suffered any sanctions or penalties at all. And the Congress, on the take, doing whatever the big money crowd wants them to, has done not a single thing to protect consumers or done anything to force the credit bureaus to behave themselves. The three most complained about organizations in the United States to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And you have a dispute, you have a problem with something on your credit report, you have what's known as a married file where somebody else's information is showing up on your report. The credit bureaus do not care. They don't. You know, to them, it's all about volume, and you and I aren't the customer. But according to a report from the Public Interest Research Group, if you do file a complaint at consumerfinance.gov, the credit bureaus worried about what might eventually happen to them with legislation suddenly hop to it. They want in secrecy to continue to treat you like dirt. But if a light is shined on them, or shown on them, whatever you'd say, suddenly, oh yeah, you want that resolved? Well, let's see what we can do. Because they've got a month to figure it out and report back to Consumer Financial Protection Bureau folks what they've actually done to resolve whatever the hassle is you're having with the credit bureaus. So if the credit bureaus are misbehaving, you should file a complaint there. Now, who else are people having a terrible time with? Well, if you look past the credit bureaus, nearly half of all complaints filed are against Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, and Capital One. Why those? Well, except for Capital One, those are the four giant monster megabanks. And they represent roughly half of banking in the United States. So it's really no surprise that they represent so much of the complaints that people have about banks. And again, with the banks, you're going against an unfeeling, uncaring bureaucracy. And you can't make them feel, but you may make them care 
if when you're having a problem with a giant monster mega bank or someone else in the financial industry, go to consumerfinance.gov and file your complaint. Don't write a long novel. Be very specific. Don't express anger. Share what the problem is and what you'd like done to resolve it and send it in. And doesn't mean you're always going to win, but it means someone will actually look at what's been frustrating you and maybe offer you a solution that to this point has been a closed door. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kathy. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Kathy. How can I be of service to you? Um, Well, I was just um, interested in what your thoughts are on refinancing student loans. I have a um, a huge student loan debt, and um, is it going to be worth it? I hope so. Um, It was a medical school loan. Oh, what kind of doc are you going to be? So I've been practicing now for two years. I'm, I'm a pediatrician. Okay takes a lot of love to be a pediatrician and you're not high up on that medical pay scale are you exactly well how much total in student loans do you have um it started off at like two hundred thousand dollars with like all the interest i had accrued and now i've paid it down to about 170 so i've tried to make some little dent in it no that's fantastic you're out of school two years and you've already wiped out 15 percent of the student loans yeah, I've been just like putting as much as I can towards it, but I still feel like even with that, I can't make a great dent in it because of how high the interest rate is. And how high is it? Is it about 6.8? Exactly. Wow, that's a good guess. Okay. You want to know what alternatives you have from, because you're in graduate plus loans, I'm guessing? Well, so I'm, I'm two years out of like residency and everything, so out no, I mean the loan. The loan product you have is Grad Plus loans. They're federal. I think they're all federal loans. I'm yeah, that sure would be Grad Plus. Plus. All right. Okay. So you have a conundrum mm-hmm. because with the interest rates in the U.S. economy being as low as they are, and being a doctor, you're looked at as an extremely low credit risk. You have the potential of doing something that is kind of like walking on a high wire. You can refi those into a private fixed rate loan because of your choice of profession you're an extra preferred risk and you may be able to cut that interest rate as low as to somewhere in the upper threes potentially which would make an enormous difference but what you give up is you give up the borrower protections that exist in the federal student loan program but i think it's worth it because Uh, you're in a profession where you have a really decent income stream and if you could cut that interest rate to let's just say even below five percent fixed rate you're going to be much better off than you are at 6.8 can i give you a couple of places you should look yes that'd be great um sophie is probably the biggest sophie sophie i never remember which way to say that dot com is one that has done a huge number of refinances for people who are who have professional degrees like you have and have you tried to see what kind of quote they would give you yeah i think i got a number like close to 4.7 percent all right so if four if they'll do 4.7 unless you can beat that somewhere else that's worth it fixed rate right at 4.7 yes a fixed rate yeah so if you can go from 6.8 to 4.7 i'd say go for it 
Okay. Now, Art, they okay. have a competitor named Credible, uh-huh. com, And okay. I put them into competition with each other. And whichever gives you a lower fixed rate, I take it. You know, two points difference is enough that you'll be having so much more money go to principal than the interest you have to pay right now that I think that's a good decision. Okay. Especially if you in two years have been able to pay off 15% of the balance, considering how much interest you're accruing over those two years, I'm really comfortable with you going from a federal loan to a private. Okay. So I would definitely grab a hold of a meaningfully lower rate, and that absolutely is. Ben is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ben. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you. Ben, you have a question for me about extended auto warranties. Yep, well, I, I just bought a new plug-in gasoline hybrid car. You did? I, Which one did you get? Yeah, I got uh, the Toyota Prius Prime. Really, that is a, you know, the hybrid market has been soft, but the Prius Prime has been a highly sought-after vehicle. Yep, it's been really, it was actually really difficult to find. Uh, the local dealer had one, and it was the the higher-end model, so I wanted the mid-range to save about $4,000. And uh, so they traded with a dealer all the way in Maryland about uh, probably four hours north of where I am to get this. So it's it's extremely rare. But And how many um, miles are you getting electric only? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure. I've only had it for two days now. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, way too early. I wanted to know all the scoop. <laughs> no, but the, the amazing thing, I've driven it to work twice, uh, once through the middle of the town, uh, and I was almost able to make it the 21 miles to work. Uh, but then when I drove on the highway, I was able to make it with a mile uh, to spare because it says that it'll it'll give you about 20 to 25 miles on an electric charge. So and, the, uh, for people who are not, aren't, aren't aware about how much this kind of vehicle is going to be part of the immediate future, with a plug-in hybrid, typically daily commuting, you commute electric only. Uh, and then for road trips it becomes a conventional hybrid. So yours is probably rated about 55 miles per gallon is just a regular hybrid, and then equivalent, what, 130 miles per gallon when it's... You have 133. 133 when it's electric only. And so the idea of having to go fill up at a gas station and all that, that's going to become really not much part of your life anymore. I certainly hope not. The federal government says that it should fill up about 14 times this next year. So so a little more than one tank of gas a month. Hopefully so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, people's experiences with various cars like the Chevy Volt, V-O-L-T, it's been that way where they uh, buy gas, in the case of the Volt, typically six tanks of gas a year. That's amazing. So... You know, when you're looking at buying a, a Prius, even with the plug-in hybrid technology, I can't imagine that you even need to even remotely think about buying any kind of extended service contract or extended warranty. Okay. Yeah, you know, you look at the reliability yeah. record on the Prius in all its versions and all its forms over the years, there are very few vehicles that have proven to be as reliable as that one has been. 
But if you ended up with one that turns out to be a lemon, you'll be able to buy a Toyota extended warranty at any point before the manufacturer's warranty expires. Awesome. So you'll be able to have some experience with it and know that it's ultra reliable or you got unlucky and got one that's troublesome. Well, that's that's great to hear. I'm I'm super excited about it. it it's on the way to being one of those self-driving cars like uh, you have, and I'm really excited about all the features that it offers that are really almost you know cutting edge features that I think will be standard in the not too distant future. Yeah, you know if someone hasn't bought a vehicle in the last three years, the technology coming into vehicles now, as you're describing with the Prius Prime are so different than what we've historically had that it is absolutely awe-inspiring how brilliant people are in the technology field and the automotive field at the pace of change accelerating that makes cars better and makes the features that they provide cheaper and ultimately will make them much safer. Bonnie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Bonnie. You got a kid about to go to college, and you have been saving money for it. I have. But now, I don't know how. I mean, it's gonna, not going to be until, you know, next September, but it sounds like I'm going to have to start cutting checks. So the confusion comes in. Do I go directly to the college? Do I send it to my checking account and pay it through bill pay? Do I send it to my son's checking account and go to bill pay? How how do I make that determination of the best way to pay the college? So you own it with your son as beneficiary. That is correct. So all you do is you just pay the qualified expenses however you wish. You can, you put in a request to withdraw a certain amount of money. You document that you have properly spent it on eligible expenses for college, and you're good to go. All right. So then everything you read, like on the 529 website, they say like sometimes if you're sending to the college direct, you have to allow allowed time for it to get to the college, or you could have possible late fees. Right, right. Um, Well, Okay, so what they're talking about is that the paperwork bureaucracy at the administrator of whatever 529 plan you're in says hey not on us if it takes us too long to get the money to the school okay so So as long as you document that you've spent it on the eligible expenses you can ask for money from the plan pay the tuition and or whatever other eligible expenses you keep your paperwork that you've done everything exactly dollar for dollar and you have no problems with the IRS coming to eat you up. To eat you up. Okay, so why do they say sometimes to do it in the beneficiary's name? Um, I, I have no idea. Okay. So, Because right. one of the things that came up with was that it's called that, that American Opportunity Tax Act, but if you have a 529, you're not allowed to claim that. Is That would be the loophole then, is to have it go to the... Does, is, I have not found sense? that that's okay. that that's a loophole that that would okay. qualify you for that. But the okay. great thing okay. is because you've saved money and you have it right. for your child's benefit. How much uh, is tuition and expenses going to be for four years? It, now that's kind of interesting too, because even applying to these colleges, they put one thing on their website, and as he gets 
accepted, then I notice that they'll give them, you know, $12,000 off. And so my projected budget is I'm hoping around $23,000 a year. And how much do you have in the 529? And I've got about 72000 Congratulations to you. Oh, that's great. You have bought yourself peace of mind. So as your son goes through each year, pay the expenses as needed through the plan, and you will have used the 529 exactly as it's designed and almost never as it's executed, where you've covered most of the expenses of your son's college education through the money you've saved. Bonnie, that is fantastic. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You want good guidance on how to handle your wallet each and every day? Well, that's what we try to do at Clark.com. You want to stretch every dollar? Check out ClarkDeals.com. So when you are on your phone, when you're on the web, there are eyes spying on you everywhere. And think about the scandal emerging with WhatsApp, where WhatsApp had uh, what they say is a software problem that was allowing spying on the things going on on individual iPhones. I only have heard about it with iPhones. I assume it was happening on Androids as well. And the fact is, when you do something online or on your phone, there's always the risk that someone will be spying on you or building a dossier on you or doing the cookies thing where they're tracking everything you're doing. An example that is probably too obvious, but I want to mention is anytime you are looking at anything, suddenly minutes later to days later, ads will pop up following you everywhere you go for whatever it was you were even just looking at. If it's something that you could buy or a trip you could take or whatever. But when we're out and about, in the analog world, we think we'd be okay, right? But the Wall Street Journal reports that now more and more stores are using deep data and cameras to capture you when you come in a store, and they instantly know who most people are walking in and who you are, what you're about, what you like to do, where you like to shop, what you like to buy. And before you know it, right on your phone, you might get a notification. Hi, welcome to blah, blah, blah store. We have a deal for you in aisle six or whatever it is. Stores are also using this where with visual recognition on digital cameras when somebody walks in a store that someone who's ever been a problem with excessive returns, it will notify someone who might help you in the store who might, in fact, discourage you of buying something because they know you have a tendency to return. Is that creepy? So the idea of privacy when you're out and about has become a whole lot tougher. And maybe people who weirdly wear sunglasses indoors and wear baseball caps, maybe you got a good thing going because 
you're shutting down the store's abilities to figure out who you are. The other thing that stores are doing is they're pinging the Bluetooth on your phone and using it as a way to establish a connection with you and send you notifications or whatever that you haven't asked for, you didn't seek out. So all you do is you turn off the Bluetooth on your phone. And one other suggestion, this is my own, shop at small local independent stores. If you're creeped out by all this big brother stuff, and then you don't have to worry about it because all an independent shop owner wants to do is please a customer and make a sale. They're not using artificial intelligence cameras to spy on you. Bob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bob. Hello, Clark. How's it going, Bob? Pretty good in North Carolina. Well, great to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Listen, uh, I received an email the other day that said, stay full and lose weight. And like a lot of people, I need to lose a few pounds. I Googled the diet that they referenced, and I come back with 20 pages of websites where they had all positive reviews. And with that many positive reviews, it sounds like the company wrote the reviews themselves. And that very well may be true, particularly if it's something you've never heard of before. I've got one search engine I'd like you to try to see if it comes back with any different results called DuckDuckGo duckduckgo.com and see if you get anything that pops back at you and try it try this as well do a second search for this organization's name and put next to it either the word scam or ripoff and then see what pops back at you you can even put the name and do scam and ripoff following it do both those words and see what pops up. And then maybe if it is something that people have felt they got uh, hoodwinked on, things will pop up. Just because somebody has a beef about something, though, that doesn't mean that 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 beef is deserved. And I shouldn't use a term like food when we're talking about dieting and staying full. But anyway, (laughs) the, the idea is that you need, if you're looking at something unknown, you need to try to find a variety of opinions about it. So how expensive is this particular diet program? Oh, it's reasonable. It's $39.95. That's it total? That's it total. So I'm skeptical of that because usually that would be like an introductory and then a per month or whatever. There's a DVD from this diet program that's on eBay for like 24 I don't know if that gives the whole program or not, but I did see that. Really? Oh, well, that's a good tip from Krista, isn't it, Bob? Uh, very good. Very good. So if all they're going to send you for the $40 is a DVD, then buy the DVD at a discount. Okay. All right. So then that's not so cheap anymore. Okay. If they're giving you all the secrets about the diet program and you're paying $40 for a DVD, and that's the beginning and end of it, that sounds actually pretty pricey. Yeah, it does. It does. Good information. All right. Well, good luck to you, and I hope you can lose those pounds that are nagging at you. You know, I used to weigh 
a fair amount more than I do now. And have you heard about my crazy diet program? No, I haven't. So I lost weight starting about, I guess, eight or nine years ago, and then have kept the weight off. My weight stayed absolutely constant over these years. And I exercise every day of my life for a minimum 30 minutes. And then I also watch what I eat Monday to Saturday, and then I eat like a maniac whatever junk I want to on Sundays. Oh, and so knowing I'm never more than six days away from blowing the what I'm eating in the control, it's like there's always that safety valve, and for me it's worked magnificently. Huh. Okay. And it seems to work. I I hear a lot of guys are successful doing what some people call treat day, others call it cheat day, and having that once a week. I've not heard from any women ever that they found that worked for them. So I don't know the difference between men and women that that's something that works so well for me and works well for other guys. So you know what I'm charging you for that? How much? $39.98. I'll charge you penny less. No. It's completely free advice from me. Got to do the exercise, though. Angie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angie. Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Angie. You got a question for me about debt on your home. I do. We had, my husband and I, I'm 41 and he is 40, and we had an acquaintance just recently withdraw money from, it was either their Roth or 401k, to pay off their house and get out of debt so that he can just live happily. So we were, of course, discussing it, and we just wanted your thoughts. Uh, we have probably about 205000 on our house. We know that there would be a penalty, but we didn't know if it would be worth paying the penalty to withdraw that from a retirement. I would, not, I would not do that. So you have a 10% federal penalty if you would draw 401k money or traditional IRA money. On top of that, you have federal tax, and if you live in a state with a state income tax, you have that as well. The average person will end up with a tax bill of 46 cents of each dollar you would draw from the plan. Plus, you then don't have that money there growing for you for retirement. Can you tell me this $200,000 mortgage, what interest rate does it carry? Um, I believe it's right at... I think it's at 4%, so it's not high at all. We got a really good deal. So there would be no advantage to you paying that off. Over the years, I mean, you've got another two two and a half decades till you're going to retire. Right. And over that time period, you will not each year, some years there'll be bad years, some years there'll be good years, but overall, you'll easily out-earn that 4%. In, that, okay. in your retirement accounts. So paying on that mortgage as you go is just fine. And it would be a disadvantage for you to wipe out your retirement money. Right. So okay. Your friend who did it, you know, there are various reasons why people do something like that. And good for them that they feel a burden lifted. But it's not really a burden. You have that house. You're building up equity over time and you have a real low interest rate to do it, and then I'm so ecstatic that you have so much money put aside in retirement that you could actually pull out that kind of money to be mortgage debt-free 
but you're best off letting that money continue to grow and build a secure retirement for you. Frank is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Frank. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Frank. The question I have is about my 12-year-old son. He's, uh, I call him the money man. He's always trying to make money. He's always looking for ways to make money. And I've only got so much money to give him. So I'm trying to help him expand his entrepreneurship. And he's done lemonade stands and raking leaves and lawn mowing. But the next thing he's looking to do is to sell ice cream from a cart. And I found a cart on Craigslist that I was going to purchase for him. But I was concerned about where I could let him set this up or if there was some types of regulations that would come into play for this. What a great question, because this keeps coming up with the rules in different jurisdictions and then Mm -hmm. how kids are treated and kids that have been cited and, I mean, just craziness that's happened with kids setting up lemonade stands. This is the first call Mm -hmm. I've ever had, though, about a kid setting up an ice cream cart. So... (laughs) As far as setting up an ice cream cart, do you live in an urban, suburban, or rural area? I'm in upstate New York, so we're, we're rural. Okay. So New York, you know, tends to be pretty regulatory-minded. Mm-hmm. And are you thinking that he'll be selling within the corporate limits of a city or in an unincorporated area of a county in upstate? That'd be a, a county. We're not going to be in uh, New York City at all. No, I mean, no, we're not it, it, but even where where your twelve year old will be selling, mm-hmm. is it within a city limits, or is it just in a rural area, no city right there? Like, so you going to be selling in shopping centers? What are you thinking? I was thinking up at like the state parks and beaches for him. Ah, so mm-hmm. you start selling on parkland? That's a whole different thing. He's okay. not going to be able to do that, mm-hmm. but. Some of the things you should look at and where kids have been really successful is when you go to an unrelated business and set up on their property. Like, let's say there's there's a gas station on the way Mm -hmm. into a park that has a lot of traffic on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And your son can pay rent to the owner of the station to be able to set up there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why I was asking those crazy questions about jurisdiction yeah. is that as a father, you should call the county and find out what's required to have a vendor's permit. Okay. And there may not be one required for a minor child. All right. But you want right. to find out that in advance. Okay. And then normally he's going to do best if he's somewhere with it's highly trafficked but what he's doing is not central to what that business does. And there's an right. opportunity for him. And who knows, he may even attract business for that business. I see. Okay. But I love the entrepreneurship. I have a son like that, and he had set up a store at the beach last summer. Mm-hmm. And police officer came to see him. <laughs> and we were watching, and we thought, he was going to be told he had to take down his store. Right, yeah. And he was actually at the foot of our driveway, and he was not required to take it down. Oh, great. So we thought he was going to get an unfriendly message, but fortunately that didn't happen. 
It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Producer Joel asks it. Yeah, Clark Richard wants to know, how do I invest in Bitcoin and who or what company would be best to use? Okay. Gosh, I don't know how much I want to get into this because I believe, it's my belief that Bitcoin is a bubble of historical proportions. I'd rather not be a gateway to helping you get in to speculating in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, if you're not aware, is what's known as a cryptocurrency. It's an electronic form of money that is not backed by any government and has shown no stability at all. And Bitcoin and its competitors have become all the rage because they become part of a speculative fever. Real money does not escalate in value or decline in value by massive percentage points each day. So know that if you do find your way to buying Bitcoin, understand that any money you put into it is money you put at risk that you could lose most, maybe not all of it, but maybe. All right, Nancy wrote in, she says, on your recommendation, we bought a Chromebook to use only for banking. Can we use it for our retirement accounts and our social security accounts as well? I know you said not to do it for social media, but I was wondering if we could do those sorts of financial websites in addition to banking. There is no exact hard rule, specifically what functions would be acceptable on a financial-only computer. I can tell you what you don't do. You never do email. You never do any kind of web surfing. Uh, never do any kind of general web activity like going to an e-commerce site. If you coordinate off where that Chromebook is being used just for financial activity in your life, bank, brokerage, credit union, uh, mutual fund account, retirement account, you mentioned checking with Social Security. Uh, that one would be one maybe I'd do on your regular computer and not on your Chromebook. But otherwise, I think that that's great segregating all those financial things. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.